Welcome to the Impact of Educational Leadership Podcast with ID3 for Isaiah Drone III. This show was designed to provide an exclusive forum on educational achievement gaps related to learner success while discovering relationships and family issues in a diverse setting. Welcome back to another impactful night of the Impact of Education Leadership. This is episode 63. I'm your host, ID3 for Isaiah Drone Third. Tonight's panelists are Ernest Krim and Buddy Thornton. Gentlemen, please say hello to the people. Hey, how you all doing tonight? It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, good evening, and it is always an honor to be on the Impact of Educational Leadership uh, and be invited back. Uh, just really love it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And with that being said, tonight's topic will be roles of the parents, community, government, and education in the future. There is a fitting together between children characteristics parents, communities, and government when it comes to the roles of the education system in the United States. Each student's characteristics develops differently, yet determine their aspirations through their relationships with the people they admire or that were role models to them, which means that they are in need for universal interventions in schools communities, and family settings that seek to avoid conflicts with peers, but promote strategies for academic success. Understanding these types of adolescent characteristics are necessary to developing preventive interventions and policies, necessary to reduce communication barriers and balance the playing field. Tonight we're gonna have a discussion about the roles of the parents, community, government, and education in the future. Our first panelist tonight is Mr. Ernest Krim. Mr. Krim, please tell the the listening audience a little bit about yourself, sir. Hello everybody out there. My name is Ernest Krim III. Um, I call myself a self-proclaimed black history advocate. I'm an author of a book called Black History Saved My Life, which details my experience with the hate crime and just my personal journey throughout my life and the impact black history and having prided myself played in being able to respond to that incident. I'm also a public speaker and every single day I am a high school teacher and I'm also a husband and a father of three beautiful daughters. Wow, that's powerful, sir. (laughs) In Chicago area. That's powerful, sir. And, uh, you know, I, I've seen Mr. Krim speak on numerous platforms and just was so impressed with his work that we had to invite him uh, back on to the Impact Education Leadership. Uh, you know, with that, with that being said, with that being said, uh, my question for you, Mr. Krim, uh, what are some strategies that you personally use in understanding characteristics that have emerged uh, especially in the virtual uh, 
environment with your students and uh, and kind of share with us you know you know what you have observed that's, that's necessary for others to use to develop preventive intervention techniques with their students yeah that's a great question and it's something that i'm learning on the job every single day and i think now it's been probably two and a half months i think i'm in a good routine, but it's still something that we're figuring out every single day, you know. Um, I, I, I look at it like this. You know how people say money is the root of all evil? And I've, I've heard people counter that by saying money really just makes you more of who you are. I think of it the same way in education. In terms of remote learning and teaching on Zoom or Google Meets, I think it makes educators and students more of who they already are. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, if you're in class and you have those students who are actively engaged all the time, it's obvious, they're visible, they might, they might sit in the front, they might sit near you, they always participate. These are the students that I'm noticing coming to the class and they keep their screen on all the time. Whether they're actively talking to you or actively participating or whatever, you know by them making that eye contact with you that they're paying attention and your attention is theirs. And then you have those students in your class who are kind of like the tweeners, you know, they, they can go either way. They might put their screen off. Um, they, these might be the kids in your school who don't necessarily want to blend in. They're okay with not being seen, not being the center of attention, and they're fine with working in silence. Then you also have those kids who tend to, uh, you know, have their screen off. And these kids are the kids in your class who don't really want to be seen at all. <laughs> they don't want to be talked to. They want to, they, they don't just want to blend in. They want to kind of be out of sight and out of mind. These are the kids that I'm noticing when I'm teaching in Zoom that, uh, have, I haven't seen them one time. And that's the insane thing about this whole process is there are children who I say their name every day. I see their name every day, but I have no idea what these students actually look like. So it's bringing out and what, it's bringing out who we really are because it allows us to sink further into our comfort zone. Just like we say, when, when people get money, it allows you to have any option that you could ever desire. Same thing with Zoom. You could be in your bed. If your screen's off, I don't know what you're doing. You could be chilling the whole time. I've had situations where kids turn on uh, their laptop or their computer, they log in, and then when I call on them, it's silence. It's eerie. <laughs> or when I tell every kid at the end of class they can leave, it's two or three kids left. And I'm saying, you can go, you can go, which to me is apparent that you weren't paying attention. Those could be those kids, again, in your class who might be texting the whole time, might not be paying attention. So that's what we're actually dealing with now. So it's, it's imperative as educators that we find different ways to engage them, to draw their attention, to keep them active. And a couple of strategies that have worked for me so far is I try to apply everything that I've done in the class to Zoom. So you know how they encourage us to greet students at the door. As soon as my students are coming into the class, the first few minutes I'm playing music. I'm just, I'm, I'm keeping it active. I'm not, I don't want any dead silence. I'm getting them in the mood of education. I'm not being too strict on my starting time. So I start a few times after every time. And I'm playing a song that I think fits the mood of the, the current climate or maybe something motivating. So my, when they come in, I greet them by as soon as that, um, that song is over, I'd say thumbs up, y'all. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Or I say thumb in the middle. Let me know how you feel it. And that's my way to get everybody involved without actually having to hear everybody's voice at once. And I'm thinking about when I'm in school, when I come in, I normally say hi to everybody. I normally get greetings. I normally get eye contact. So since I can't get that, thumbs up. The kids who don't have a screen on, guess what they can do? They can respond with an emoji. They have the emoji thing on Zoom. 
or if they're not having a good day, that actually encourages some of these kids to turn on their screen. <laughs> then they'll put their, they'll just show their thumb going down or whatever. And I try my best at times too to ask specific questions. The more specific the question is, the more you get to learn about the student. So if I say, hey, how you doing today, so-and-so, they say, good, okay, well, tell me what's good about your day. Because I, I feel like during this time, what's even more important than giving our kids these assignments is actually learning about them and seeing how we can help them. Because although grades count this time, as opposed to last semester in Illinois, they told us to just whatever the kid's grade was before then, just give it to them. We're still in that situation, kind of. We still have to find the best way to reach these kids. And if they're showing up every day, we owe it to ourselves to try to meet them halfway. Another tactic that works for me, breakout rooms. Um, I figured this out today. Since we can't have assigned seats and I can't walk over to students and talk to them, breakout rooms, putting them in groups of like two or three people allows me to talk to them individually in small groups where they won't feel embarrassed. You know? And then the last thing that's also worked for me, too, is this... Uh, you know, when the class is over, you might say, you know, bye, everybody, see you tomorrow. Well, that's not the same thing, right? Because when you say bye, everybody's instantly logging off. So what I do, last five minutes of class, yo, I'm getting ready to dismiss you. The quickest way to get out this class, y'all, is just show, show a screen, react to something so I can see that you're there and you're present. And I say everybody's name one by one, all 20, all 25 kids. Yo, I'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day. See you tomorrow. Have a great day. And even on the days where I forget to take a specific note of my attendance, saying that name over and over actually helps me out too. So doing that constantly, I'm noticing on some of these assignments about what our students are actually saying to me, that it's having some type of response. Even though that all of them aren't putting their screens on yet, these are the building blocks to reach them and to also build that rapport. And I'm confident that as this semester continues to go and next semester comes, that relationship will be built. But then the unfortunate part is if whenever we do go back, if we go back this year, I'll be in a situation where I probably still won't recognize some of these kids. But, of course, they'll recognize me based on how I treated them. Wow. That's all that was, I got. That was a lot. <laughs> no, that's not all you got. Because uh, I heard something in that. I heard something in that. Because, I mean, you talked about extroverts. You talked about introverts. And, and you talked yeah. – about how you use classroom management, your classroom management skills to help you uh, compensate for those different characteristics of, of your children. And, but, you know, and, and then you, you engage with them to check their mood. So you're, you're using a mood meter, I guess, uh, so to speak, to, to kind of help along with classroom management. Because if they're not having a good day, you know, that mood meter is going to let you know, you know, where they are and their emotions and stuff. I love how you put that together. Let me ask you one, one last question here. Uh, because the late, the, or, or the late or the slow start for the school year, you know, how did that affect attendance, you know, for you and, and your demographic where you are? Yeah. yeah, so I'm at a school that is about 80% low income in a town about 45 minutes from Chicago. Uh, most of my students are Hispanic and black. And it was definitely a challenge at first, especially the first couple weeks. And it's normally like that in school. When, when school first starts back, you have some stragglers, but definitely this was something unlike any other time. I think, though, the fact that kids knew their grade was worth something this semester, this time, it encouraged them to show up more. So on a regular basis now, I still would probably get like, you know, maybe 20 out of 25 kids. Sometimes it could be 23 out of 26 or whatever. But, um, I think the struggle is 
you have children at home and, and they're not just learning. They have other obligations. Like for myself, my wife and I, we're both educators, but we're blessed to have her mother-in-law come over. Even though she's a teacher too, she teaches younger kids. I teach high school, so she can jump in, um, help out our kids, and she can help out with our youngest child. So having that support, I have to be cognizant that some of our kids don't have that same support. I've had kids email me and say they've, they've had COVID. So there's a lot going on. So it, it, it makes you be more understanding, and it makes you have to un also understand that I have to maybe try to reach out to these students more and meet them in the middle. And also, too, for me as a history teacher, I try not to pile on as much work as I used to because sometimes that can be discouraging. But I will say that as the, the school year got underway, more kids did begin to log in. But I've also had kids say because of the, uh, the interaction I have with them that it does make them want to come to my class more. So I, that actually does help. Wow. You know what? That was awesome. You know, and I know you got to go because, you know, listen to, audience, listen to this. Uh, I was speaking to Mr. Ernest Kern III before we started the podcast, and he was like, you know, Isaiah, you know, I got to be in and out tonight because I, I got something special I got to do uh, for my little lady. Can you tell us in the audience what you told me earlier? <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. So, um, like I said, I have three daughters. Um, my two oldest are seven and five. And, you know, for the most part, of course, they haven't really been to school, but a few weeks back, they started to, um, to allow students to go back on a, a, a different, like a staggered schedule. So my, my youngest, I'm sorry, my middle child, she's been going back with like five other kids in the class. Other kids are remote, and she's only been going um, twice a week for like three or four hours. My oldest daughter, she's the extrovert of the family, and she's been anxious to go back, and she was supposed to start back this week with like five or six of her other friends. But, of course, Tuesday um, was the election day, and in our state, in our district, we didn't have school. So they pushed it back to Friday. So this is like her big day. It's the last day of the week, first day of school. First. So she's, she's really excited. I'm excited for Got to get ready to read a book tour. <laughs> He'll tuck her in and all that good stuff. So. Wow. Talk about a good role model. Well, sir, we're not going to hold you. We thank you so much for all that you bring to the podcast and that you bring to humanity. And sir, you have a great night and um, you, enjoy your family. Yes, sir. You too. Appreciate it. Have a great night. I'll take care. Yes, sir. You too. With that being said, with that being said, our, our next panelist is, is also a very, has a very strong presence uh, in his family. Um, as well. And with that being said, uh, Buddy Thornton, please say hello to the people. Uh, good evening, and uh, uh, sad to say that Mr. Krim had to leave, but uh, just listening to what he had to say uh, gives us uh, great hope that uh, there are a whole lot more teachers just like him. Very powerful, very, very powerful presence. Amen to that. Well, Buddy, please tell the listener audience a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a doctoral candidate at Grand Canyon University in Phoenix. I have a master's in human services counseling from Liberty University and a bachelor's of science in allied health sciences from UW-Milwaukee. Uh, I have uh, four generations in my household. I have uh, myself and my wife. I have children, grandchildren, and several great-grandchildren. 
and we've especially hunkered down because of the COVID situation. So uh, I'm in a living experiment with four generations every day of the week, and uh, it has really furthered uh, my personal anecdotal education in my parent coaching field. Uh, I really, really, a lot of times I, I just really am surprised at some of the interactions that I see in a high stress environment where people are not allowed to get out and uh, blow off some steam away from the house. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of to be said about the situation we're in, but for myself, um, I treat it as a, uh, a living experiment where I get to actually see and evolve my own belief system in, in how parents and teachers and leaders in the community should approach uh, life itself. So uh, as for myself, yes, COVID is stressful, but you got to find the silver lining in every cloud, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for that response and letting the listening audience know a little bit more about you. You know, our, our last panelist, he talked a lot about academic achievements and social skills uh, that he uses to uh, teach his his, his students, his children in the virtual environment, you know, and uh, <clears throat> with that being said, my question for you, uh, Buddy Thornton, I, I, call, I call him, by the way, uh, Buddy, the Positive Social Change Agent Pro, uh, but please explain how will these universal intervention techniques in, in schools, in communities, and in family learning settings, how will they look, or how should they look in the future, and how should we implement them, and how should we implement them to be successful? That's my question for you. Well, I do believe uh, there's one big commonality that that comes out of that question uh how will universal interventions in schools communities and family learning settings appear if they are implemented successfully well we have to focus on the students obviously but the the only answer that i could come up with after receiving this question was uh it's going to look like a blended co-creation event where community leaders work together with the parents, the teachers, and the students themselves to build a better future. Uh, no matter where we are today, no matter where our starting point is, if we focus on the end point and we understand that the end point can never be fully achieved, there's no such thing as perfection in a social endeavor, but we can work diligently. We can put every uh, ounce of our being into allowing a co-creation event where everyone becomes relevant. Community leaders become relevant to the parents and the teachers. The students feel included. Uh, we have to make sure that, in, at least in the way I look at the, the world as we see it, is we have to create an environment where the kids actually believe that people want them there, that they uh, have their best interest at heart, and so what we have to do is go from where we are today and we have to take a journey, a meaningful evolution of universality, meaning that we're not over the kids, they're not under us. We take their future as being the fabric of our being and why we're here. 
we need to show dignity and respect and include them in everything we do. That's why I use the words co-creation. It's not right for us to dictate to them what they have to do. What we need to do is sit down and diligently listen actively and find out what's in their heart, show them what's in our heart, and move toward a future that can be nothing but better because we're allowing them to co-create their own future. You know, it's like a cyclical effect. You have your leaders, your community leaders, that really have to project that they care about their constituents and their constituents obviously include their school districts, mentors, people who are in the community who want to be involved in making sure that the future of our world is bright. They work with these kids. These are the mentors that we really need. The teachers themselves, who are primarily the hands-on people who get to really shape the lives of these students. And then, of course, the parents who obviously love their children, but they don't get as much of a chance to be with them if you go with the research uh, average of about 37 to 38 minutes of quality time a parent gets to spend with a child each day that pales in comparison to what teachers spend with them but we have to show that we care about them every day we have to implement tenets of universal positive regard we have to make sure they understand that they are just as important as we are and if there's something distressing them. We need to show empathy. We need to get right down there with them. And we need to make sure that they understand that we're there for them. They're not there for us. And then you just look at the primary role each person in this cycle has. I mean, a leader has to protect tomorrow's precious treasures. That's what these children are. They are the number one resource in our universe. Mentors have to choose to act as pilgrims on a mission. And their only mission should be to create an environment where these kids can thrive. Parents have to engage meaningfully with their children, whether they have limited time resources or not, every moment that they get to spend with their kids can be meaningful. And teachers, I, I, I know a lot of teachers, and teachers are just, they, they cross all spectrums and they really work hard, but the one connection that every successful teacher has is they provide a nurturing, warm, safe place where the kids feel wanted and respected and they get the dignity of being who they are and they're not, you know, treated less than. But none of that will work if we don't allow the students to be the primary co-creators of their universe. We need to make sure that a universal intervention at every level from leadership, teachers, mentors, community involvement teams. It doesn't matter what they all do. If they don't allow students to be involved in co-creating their future, the students are going to tune them out. The students are going to say, if you're not going to let me have a voice in my future, I'm going to create my future without you. That's really the way it's evolving at this point in time, especially with the stresses of being you know, home bound and, and not allowed to do a lot of things, they're, they're very creative. They're very, very sophisticated, and they're going to find ways to envision their future that we can't even fathom yet. So my advice is create that co-creation environment. Make an event where the students themselves get to be a primary actor in their own play. You know, I just love the way you put that together because you talked about having a voice, 
and making a choice. You know, and that's why I'm so grateful for this podcast. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for Mr. Krim. I'm grateful for this month of Thanksgiving, by the way. This is the month of Thanksgiving. And um, we're just so grateful uh, to just be here, you know, be alive. And so, you know, with this discussion, you talked a lot about opportunities. And these opportunities uh, are for students to have that voice. And when students have a voice, they begin to create. They begin to make choices uh, that's aligned to the voice that they're hearing. And this is called creativity, I believe. And so that capacity uh, to initiate uh, a purposeful experience uh, for uh, teaching becomes a, a splendor of, of beauty because whenever you know you have a student's voice it challenges the, the teacher, it challenges the administration, it, it challenges the school uh, to shift its mindset. All right? And so you know the students have to have that voice moving in the future because if we're going to um, survive in the future of education, it has to be universal. And so, you know, there, there are only certain things that are universal, like love. We know love is universal. Music, you know, music is universal. You could play a song to someone, they can't read a lick of music. They could be from a different culture, a different part of the world, and they can feel the music. Just like people can feel if you love them, because that too is universal. So, like you were saying, we have to facilitate, we have to support, we have to build, uh, you know, strong support systems around our students, our children, despite the behaviors that or characteristics that they display. And so I love the way you put that together. Uh, with that being said, uh, what are you thankful for? Well, one of the things that I'm extremely thankful for is that I've been blessed with a large family, uh, a loving wife for almost a half a century. But I've, I've been put in the crucible of needing to be the patriarch of a family that has at times been extremely stressful. You know, I've had children who've been in trouble with the law. Uh, I've had situations where, you know, Ill illness and uh, uh, very, very high duress situations have permeated the family environment, and yet we've come out the other side. We've taken the journey through. And I believe that the strength that God gives by putting you in those stressful situations has served us well during this COVID pandemic because when people start to feel uh, overstressed, they, we already have a coping mechanism, a family coping mechanism where people support each other and we see that there needs to be some type of engagement, some type of activity that will lower the stress. So, you know, I feel blessed because God's given me a, a large family that uh, looks within when they need to. And uh, I, I know that there are just so many people out there, especially these disadvantaged students who come from broken homes or are, uh, you know, under different diverse problem settings. 
uh, you know, they're not blessed with that. And so because I've been able to have a voice and I've been able to give back, you know, I've created some, some things that allow me to give back and feel privileged to do so. Uh, and it also gives me a chance to, to know that uh, I, w- I was blessed with this big family so that I could take some of those messages back. When I was creating my core message of how a student or how a child is supposed to develop their life and how they're supposed to uh, create their voice uh, so that they can give voice to what drives them, what their passion is, what they, what they want to get out of life. And, and, of course, they're inexperienced. They don't know what they're doing yet, but they, if they have a voice, they can put something out into the universe and the parents and the adults around them can filter what needs to be filtered out and they can take the core message and they can help them achieve their dreams. They can help them achieve what is going to spearhead them into being successful adults, society moves forward. Those are the blessings that we get when we look within and we see what are the things that we've been given in our life that allows us to create a message that will help other people. And to, to me, that's the biggest blessing that I've ever had is my, my large family and how it has motivated me to be as good a parent coach as I possibly can be. Thank you. Thank you. And, and I see that displayed uh, in your conduct when you are with your family every time I see you guys together. It's, it's a very beautiful illustration of what a family uh, should look like. You know, tonight we talked about you know how uh, what what roles parents, community, and government play in education moving forward in the future, and understanding that uh, adolescents are going to have different characteristics that emerge uh, while they're developing, and so we have to come up with strategies like we heard, you know, family support system. That's a strategy. And we got to come up with strategies that's universal uh, to help our adolescents to help our children communicate through those barriers and and balance the playing field. And with that being said, are there any takeaways for tonight? Yeah, the biggest takeaway is that, you know, these children, and they have to be called children until they, uh, you know, reach a certain maturity level, uh, they don't have the core ability to handle the stressors in their life. And so when they're presented with a problem, if they don't believe they can come to somebody that they trust and love and they know love them and care about them, they're going to seek that somewhere. Just quantify somewhere as being anywhere. And my question to parents especially, but then also the teachers and community leaders, pastors, Do you want them to seek the answers in the open universe, on social media? Do you want them to go somewhere where you don't have at least some type of a voice uh, in their head uh, letting them know that you care and so you can provide those answers? And my, I always cycle back to, you know, if you don't have the answer, you don't necessarily have to hire a coach or whatever, but you need to seek a resource that will allow you to have those answers 
and to build that love in your heart and the ability to project how much you care about your children so that they do turn inward to you is the last thing you want to do is find out that they're getting answers from someone else especially some unknown someone else and you have no control over what's in their head and what they're thinking and where they're going and the further you let yourself drift away from them the the more you're going to lose them and i think that's very evident in certain segments of society which makes me overwhelmingly sad so my biggest takeaway is if you don't feel like you are connecting with your kids find a way or get a coach who can help you learn a coping mechanism to connect with your kids because they are ultimately the number one resource that you are ever going to pass along to future generations. Well, you heard it first. This was another impactful night of the impact of educational leadership. This is episode 63. I'm your host, ID3 for Isaiah Thrill III. Tonight's panelists were Ernest Krim III and Mr. Buddy Thornton. Good night. Welcome to the Impact of Educational Leadership Podcast with ID3 for Isaiah Drone III. This show was designed to provide an exclusive forum on educational achievement gaps related to learner success while discovering relationships and family issues in a diverse setting.